You, you can holler, you can applaud, you can scream, you can do anything you want. I can't hear you anyway. <laughs> Hey everyone, I'm Kyler Bingham and you're listening to the Salt Lake Dirt Podcast. On today's show we have cinematographer Ross Rigi, who uh, currently is the director of photography for Rutherford Falls, which uh, airs on Peacock starting April 22nd. It stars Michael Greyeyes and Ed Helms. Michael, of course, you might remember him from this incredible limited series on HBO called I Know This Much Is True, and then Ed Helms. Of course, from The Office um, and lots of other great things. So catch that on Peacock starting April 22nd. Ross also has a pretty pretty expansive career, and we just scratched the surface of it on this episode. Hopefully we get him on again down the road, and we could talk more uh, about his amazing um, projects that he's been involved with for years. Uh, a couple standouts uh, that I definitely want to check out at this point, um, a documentary called The Great Alone which we, we talk about that here in the episode. Also, Kings of Summer, which was at Sundance 2013. Um, and then something more more recent, Walking Dead, World Beyond. Would love to talk to him more about that once that second season is um, ready to come out. Okay, so let's go ahead and talk to Ross. Thanks for listening to the Salt Lake Dirt Podcast. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, everybody. Today, I'm with Ross Rigi, um, who is a, a cinematographer. Currently, he is working on the new Peacock show, Rutherford Falls, which comes out on April 22nd. Um, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today, Ross. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I have a few questions. I, I think the, the main thing that was brought to my attention, and um, I am kind of a, I'm kind of a a photography nerd i went to before i became a high school teacher I actually went to school for still photography and it was in in the window right before digital kind of became accessible so we mm-hmm. weren't we weren't allowed to use digital cameras because they were out of the price range so i think i was the last little generation a couple of years where we still worked in a dark room and we worked with large format medium fa- um, format still cameras which was, which was incredible yeah so i, I have a real interest in it um and i've completely lost touch of how everything works these days and uh so i i'm just really curious it, it sounds like you used a, a large format camera for the for rutherford falls what you're shooting with right now which is not yeah. usually standard for uh comedies from my understanding uh yeah i mean it's it's also generally newer uh you know the, the larger formats have come out in the last years and mostly find them you know it's on features and places that you can afford them um but now they're recently in the last year or so they're starting to become available enough and um where you're starting to see more episodic shows use them um and yeah maybe not quite as many comedies you know darker comedies and then slowly i think it's going to continue making its its way across the board but uh but yeah i um this was my first, uh, I, I did a couple uh, uh, commercial spots uh, on large format prior to this, but this is the first show that I've done um, large format, which which was, uh, it was, uh, uh, frankly, it was part of my initial pitch when I went in to meet on the show is that I, I just thought that uh, it would be nice to approach a comedy, especially a half hour comedy um, with, you know, uh, some some visual uh, elegance and um, 
And uh, in a way, I guess it was subconsciously a, a litmus test of, of what the show was looking for in an, mm-hmm. in their look. And, um, and they were all about it. So I was like, Oh, okay, cool. They want to yeah. do something, you know, special. And, um, and uh, so, yeah, that was that. And we, we, um, we'd started prep last, was it February? And then we were one of the many shows that, you know, went on a brief pause, which turned into a long pause right. and then uh, came back uh, in August. And then we wrapped right before the holidays at the end of last year. Wow. That's great. So, um, yeah. yeah. When I saw, so I haven't actually seen a full episode yet. I've just seen clips um, and I've seen it advertised here and there. And it did before I found out it was shot on something different. I'm like, that looks, that looks interesting to me. I mean, I, I, the, the visuals, that's what grabbed me initially. So that's really cool to be able to speak to you. Oh, that's good. Uh, so that's good. Definitely can't well, wait the, to see the finished project. Yeah, good. Well, the the, uh, the first teaser that was released, um, it's nice to hear you say that because the first trailer that was released, um, they it came out in the wrong aspect ratio because we shot two to one. Um, uh, and so, of course, when I saw the trailer, I was like, what? Uh, but uh so it was released in the wrong aspect ratio and it wasn't, um, it didn't have a final color pass on it. Mm. So a lot of the color in the, in that first trailer was actually closer to Daly's color than our final color. So oh, okay. there were some, there were some like red alarms that went off in my head, but um, they, they are uh, resolving them and they will, uh, from this point forward, they will release things properly, oh, which is good. good. But if, if it was good enough to pique your interest at that point, then that it makes did. me well, Yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, and it is your name attached to it. So you want it to be, like what you had intended you know you <laughs> that's gonna yeah, be of course. terrifying as a as a as an artist collaborating on a project where a lot of it can be out of your hands at at times yeah well even even the shooting two to one was it you know the amount of time and um uh, effort we put into pitching and and kind of going over why it, it, it'll be okay if we shoot two to one and here are the advantages and here's all the other shows that have already done it before us we're not you know we're not going to ruin things um the amount of effort we put into selling that and then when when the world first sees a glimpse of the show it's, it's in 69 you're like oh man <laughs> well i was so, impressed uh, so i mean i mean hey maybe um you know i think it definitely it just had a feel to it that i i can't really quite explain but i was i was drawn to it and um i did, i couldn't tell immediately if it was a, like is this a comedy is this a drama at helms and a drama i couldn't but then i like you know obviously <laughs> it, it was but um it definitely grabbed my attention whereas there's so much stuff thrown at all of us on a daily yeah. basis and streaming and it's just like and there's you know there's amazing stuff coming at us from all directions um not to mention all the the crap that's coming at us <laughs> in all directions <laughs> uh so yeah it's cool when you can when you can see something that kind of sparks your interest just from a visual um point of view so um yeah. very cool i was looking over your filmography and it's like oh my god you have such a wide variety um of a body of work behind you. So you have like, you have documentary, uh, a feature documentary, you have, um, I mean, you have everything you have like comedy, um, everything. You had a film that was, uh, up at Sundance, uh, a few years back. Uh, so I'm just kind of curious about how you became involved in, in, uh, becoming a cinematographer. I know, um, from what I read, you went to NYU. Um, but, I'm just curious, obviously the interest was well before going to college. Um, so I'm kind of curious, like who, who were some of your inspirations growing up and when did you first kind of get the, the aha moment where I, I want to do this? Um, well, I, 
I, growing up, I grew up in Wisconsin. And so we, it wasn't, you know, the same as growing up in a, in a uh, city where there's a lot of, you know, Hollywood literacy in terms of, oh yeah, my, my friend's dad is a director. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was none of that. And so, and ironically, we, uh, I I was interested in still photography um, in high school and uh, our high school's um, still photography program had been canceled, I think a couple years before I got to high school. So Mm -hmm. we literally didn't even have a photography program. Oh, wow. uh, but ironically, so I just was shooting some stuff on my own. But I guess kind of what got me interested was a, a friend of mine and I, uh, we had a class that was pretty edgy at the time. And they allowed us to do, it was called American Studies. And it, it was kind of history and sociology combined. And mm-hmm. um, for final projects, instead of writing a paper, you could do a, you could uh, draw a movie poster and talk about it, why why you chose these characters, or you could make a video or whatever it was. Um my friend and I were just like, let's just make puppet videos. Mm-hmm. And so we started building all these puppets, um, kind of Henson style, you know, um, hand and round puppets. And we were just making all these uh, videos, which we would turn into, we can, we can take care of getting our assignments done, but we mm-hmm. can also do all this weird stuff on the side. So he and I started doing that. And then once we get, by the time we got through high school, you know, we were both like, well, we're just going to be puppeteers. And our parents were like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> So kind of the next thing was he ended up going to, to USC um, and I went to NYU and um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't, I hadn't really made the connection of like, I want to shoot. So if I look at the stuff that we were doing in high school, there was, there was no emphasis on the way it was being shot. It was more about the puppets and mm-hmm. um, learning how to edit and stuff like that. But uh, when I got to school, I quickly learned once I started getting into film classes, as much as I was so interested in all of it, I, I, I was like, I'm not cut out or interested in being a director i'm not a good writer um so it was kind of by process of elimination it was the last thing left and and then there i sat with all these writers slash directors that needed stuff to be shot so Mm -hmm. i took a lot of photography classes while i was there and then cinematography classes and then all the required criticism and all that kind of stuff but it was like started leaning towards all the photographic stuff pretty early and so that's kind of where where it started uh how it came to fruition and then after that, it was just like, I'll sh- I just want to keep shooting. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't stay in New York. I couldn't afford to stay in New York. And I moved out to the West Coast, moved in with my buddy who was still there finishing up his last year. And uh, and then he had a, a bunch of friends that were graduating, shooting music videos and shorts. And, and I just kind of started there. And so I think maybe for for whatever reason that kind of contributed to me kind of having to shoot in whatever way was required. It's very much adaptive, you know, what opportunity is coming my way. Okay. I better learn how to do that. Um, But I think overall the documentary stuff is the stuff that if I was to tell, you know, the the 12 year old version of myself, you want to learn how to be a a filmmaker, whether it's a director or anything, do a, do a documentary, you know? Right. So, um, so that stuff is challenging, but it's rewarding and, you know, no, that's fascinating. I was talking last night, I was talking to, um, I don't know if you had the chance to, to see that, uh, documentary series called, uh, murder among the Mormons on Netflix. No, um, pretty, pretty interesting. Um, you have to check it out. I don't want to do any spoilers, but it's a, it's a pretty (laughs) insane true crime story that is unique. And I talked to one of the directors, um, for that and he you know he initially wanted to become like a narrative writer direct writer filmmaker director filmmaker um and he kind of just he slipped into uh documentary because he was doing a lot of commercial work and he was getting sick of that he's like well i got into this to be a filmmaker 
And so um, he ended up doing his first film. You know, he's a Utah based filmmaker. He did his first film on um, some of the the uh, the the fundamental polygamist um, young men who basically had to leave, left their their church and were ostracized. You know, they come into town and they've just been living on this commune for you know their whole life. They don't have a social security number, like no formal, no education. So it's them kind of coming into St. George, Utah, Southern Utah, and, um, you know, kind of hooking up with this, this group that tries to help these young people that come out of it. Um, but all the, all the, um, the issues that obviously crop up when they are thrown into the quote unquote real world. So he, um, wow. just proximity of, of living here, he fell into this incredible documentary um, film, but it took him, you know, like four years to make it. And, and it's same with this, uh, the, the, um, the murder among the Mormons that took him four years as well. So he was just joking like, Oh my God, I, I can't do another four year. Cause all of his films <laughs> seem to be about four years in length. And it's like um, yeah. the stress of it, but it's like, you know, I can't imagine. I mean, cause you have to, you have to shoot off the, you know, on the cuff quite a bit and you have to really be adaptable in that moment. Otherwise you're not going to get, get that shot so yeah um i'm i'm curious so you did a film uh the one i was i, I need to check this one out definitely is it called the great alone yep um yeah, yeah maybe briefly just tell us about that uh, that sounded fascinating that experience that you that you went through to um you know document that yeah it's uh, probably among my top uh, top three top two favorite professional experiences i've ever had uh it, uh, um, a speaking of taking four years and however long, I mean, it's really the documentaries, um, the subject dictates, you know, it mm -hmm. dictates everything from the way you shoot it to, to how you plan it, to whether it takes a year to shoot or it takes 10 years to shoot. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but there was a, uh, I kind of became introduced to this, uh, a filmmaker who does a lot of doc stuff and then, um, a little bit of narrative stuff and commercial stuff as well. Um, uh, Greg Coes and, uh, he was actually, through a, a weird kind of uh, a few channels, um, he he was doing this um, this documentary called Song Sung Blue, which was about a Neil Diamond um, cover singer, cover band, mm. um, who lived in Wisconsin. And so uh, he was making a lot of trips there. He actually formerly was a, a um, one of the camera operator filmmakers for NFL Films, and he covered the, the Green Bay Packers for a, a chunk of time. So he was very familiar with a lot of goings on in Wisconsin, but. Um, but anyway, we kind of got linked up and I, I ended up doing some additional camera on some commercials he, he did in Los Angeles and, um, and he, he loved this, uh, polka documentary that I did right after college in Wisconsin. And, um, and then at just, we linked up, he was, he was deciding to, uh, he had, he had this, uh, story. He met this, um, I did Rod Musher through a, a Nike campaign that he had done a uh, commercial campaign and he latched on. He's like, Oh, this is, this guy's got a story. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he's just curious if I wanted to join him and, and shoot with him. And so we, um, it's one of those things you don't know how, what you're signing up for, but we started with, he had, he had a bunch of material already shot from other stuff with him and he had been going on his own and visiting him and getting to know and doing interviews and stuff. But then we wanted to shoot the, the actual Iditarod. And so, um, I joined him for that and, you know, it was a lot of planning, a lot of stuff, but we, we went on an Iditarod and not in a way a musher would, I can't take that, uh, <laughs> that type of credit. Cause those guys are, are badasses, but, uh, but we covered it. And, and that was the epitome of, you just don't know, um, where you need to be. And it's not, it's not about, 
oh, is he going, when is he going to wake up and is he going to go to the grocery store first or is he going to go visit his mom's? This is like, is he going to mush through the night and, and go 20 further miles or is he going to bed down and how long? And, you know, the, the way people get around when you're on the trail is, is by these little airplanes or helicopters or on the trail. So, uh, so the logistics and all that stuff was part of it, but it was also just the storytelling and being able to be mobile. And, um, and so it was like pack a pack an Alexa in your backpack and, and choose one. And we, we wanted to shoot on primes, not, not zooms. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so it was like all about pick a, pick a focal length that you can tell the story on and you might not get back to your, your lenses. They're going to go on a plane and meet you, you know, at X location in yeah. two days. So pick a lens you know what kinds of stuff that might come up and then it's all about telling the story just like with a fixed lens and still photography you know like mm-hmm. getting closer getting further away making your frames and um and uh yeah so we we shot that we shot a little bit of extra stuff and then greg continued shooting more supplemental material as the edit came together so it, fortunately for him that i think his song sung blue documentary i think i want to say it was 10 or 12 years by the time he finished wow. it but it's a, it's an incredible movie so you should check it out too yeah definitely for sure um but uh, but this was it was a shorter length of time that we were actively shooting it. But um, but when when will I ever get to go kind of be in Alaska and experience the Iditarod again? Right. Yeah, I mean <laughs> you know, camping in the snow with the with an Alexa. Yeah, so, that's incredible! Wow, I can't wait to see it. Um, um, so cool. Yeah, I so, am. Are you are you um, shooting the show uh, in Los Angeles? Or are you on location somewhere? I'm well, I'm in Richmond, Virginia now. We, oh, okay. We wrapped Rutherford Falls uh, in December, right before the holidays. And then um, I'm actually doing uh, the second season of a show I did season one of in 2019. Um, and it's a it's one of the Walking Dead uh, spinoffs. It's, right. it's called World Beyond. Okay. Um, and so we're doing the second and final season of that show right now. Oh, wow. Um, I am. So to kind of to finish up, I'm just curious about um, obviously, you know, everyone's no matter what your career was, was kind of derailed for about a year there. Um, I'm curious, especially in, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of people um, in the film industry and, you know, how things kind of hit a standstill and when things were kind of slowly and they're still kind of slowly coming back from my understanding how um, just they're doing the best they can to be as careful as they can, um, even as we, we hopefully are coming out of this whole pandemic thing. Um, I'm just curious, like y- your experience um, on a professional level with the pandemic and how it impacted you and like, what did you do or did you not do anything for a while? Yeah, like, yeah. What was your life like there for a bit? Well, we had started prep on Rutherford Falls uh, before, before it kind of hit. So we were, it was like February and then early March and we went on pause and then we essentially stopped completely. And, um, and so when we came back, we had to kind of restart prep and, and we changed a few things with the approach uh, in terms of, you know, like we, we brought on more remote heads and we, we brought on an extra camera team. So we had the, the ability to potentially shoot faster and hopscotch stuff, but also to, uh, you know, God forbid you lose a camera crew because, you know, if somebody tests positive, then, then you have a group that's contact traced and they have to go. Um, so you, the whole thing is about keeping the show afloat. And then of course, first and foremost, you kind of have to, it's like a pyramid. So you have to protect the actors because if an actor gets a test, then the show is probably going to shut down mm-hmm. for who knows how long. And it's happened. Um, not on our show, fortunately, but um, it, 
you know, changed a lot. We weren't able to, a, a big thing about being able to get through our days is, is, you know, like having snacks, craft service, coffee, being able to work on the run. And usually for me, you know, even during lunch, you're, you're sitting and you're having a meeting or you're talking with the director about how you're going to make the afternoon or, um, and a lot of all that stuff kind of went away. Like there was a, there was a version of craft service. There was, um, we, our show didn't have lunch breaks. We had walking lunches, but we also couldn't bring food on the stage and our stages were 70% of the work. Mm-hmm. So there's a handful of us that had to figure out how do we eat and still like, cause I can't really leave the set, you know, I can go to the bathroom, but right. I, um, <laughs> so there were things like that, that were challenges, but I, I think all, I think generally all of us, I, what I saw it was just that everybody was so excited at the opportunity to get started again, mm-hmm. that um, it was, it was easy and so thankful that we were able to start working again, you know, whether it was because people were strapped for, for the money or, or just so exhausted from being home and the mundaneness of being trapped. Um, but so I think that contributed to people being really on top of the safety elements. And uh, I, by then, I mean, for me early on, I started thinking about, I didn't realize how often I touched my face throughout the day, or I didn't realize, you know, of course I don't wash yeah. my hands enough, that kind of stuff. But, mm. um, so, and that stuff is still, I think it's all habits that hopefully will, will all kind of keep long-term regardless. Sure. But, um, you know, I don't touch my, you know, touch my mouth and do all this stuff nearly as much as I used yeah. to. Yeah. And, you know, and frankly, I, I, I think our producers could have handled the, the safety and, you know, being conservative and safe, um, as best as, as good as they, as they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I felt safer being at, you know, at Paramount, um, on stage than I did going to the grocery store on the weekends. Yeah. So, um, so in a weird way, you know, we had all these restrictions and I was super glad to take the mask off at the end of the day and mm-hmm. breathe, but, um, but it kept us going and we were all, you know, we're thankful that we managed to get through the whole season. Yeah, no, that's great. I've heard, I've heard that from a few other people involved with shows and and, and films and how um, they're like the, you know, the rest of like, like public schools could take a, take an example. The ones that are open, like my school that I work at, we were open this whole time. They could take, oh, a, really? they could take a cue from how Hollywood is doing it. You know, yeah. um, they're really, you know, doing as far as they understand it you know what this thing is doing the best they can and um yeah yeah it sounds like it's been you know better than most places so that's that's great and as we come out of it you know it's um like you said it's gonna hopefully you know when when it all hit i shaved my beard off i'm like no more beard for me it's gonna be a mix. i know it's gonna be in there and then it like slowly you know, you know you, well you've got it you've got a you've got a pretty impressive beard again so it goes to show how long it's been I get, yeah, uh, really. <laughs> uh, but that's, a, yeah, it's, it's interesting too, because every show of course has their own, there, there are general agreed on kind of protocols, but there's still so much, so many little things that uh, it's kind of like a style, I guess, you know, mm. there's so many little things that people choose to do. What did you, do you test your, your, your a group or whatever zone you call that is the most active and the most present around the actors? Do you test them three times a week? Do you test them five times a week? Do you, te- mm-hmm. do, you do the PCRs? Do the rapid tests? Um, how do you report things? All that stuff is a new part of prep. So like when I started the show I'm doing now, you're going through the, the whole other element of like, what are the expectations? What should we be doing? Um, you know, what are the networks demand? What are the producers looking to do? all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Wow. It sounds like it, like 
that created some new jobs <laughs> within yeah. the industry right there. Yeah. Um, man, that's wild. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's all I wanted to ask you about. Thanks so much for taking the time. And, um, I, I got your last name, right? Right. Re- yeah. Okay. Excellent. I just want to make sure I don't want to blow that out <laughs> right after I asked you before we went on. Um, so yeah, Ross, thank you so much for taking the time, uh, to speak yeah. with me. And, um, I'm anxious to look, uh, back at some of your past work and now, now I know who you are and I'm going to keep an eye out for, uh, you know, things to come in the future. And Rutherford Falls comes out, uh, April 22nd on Peacock. Uh, make sure everyone, you check that out. It looks like a very, um, funny show with with incredible visuals that ross is um in part behind so thank you so much ross i I really appreciate it thank you for having me okay have a good night you too thanks kyler